Welcome to the dive table. I'm Jay Gardner, and back with me is our fourth co-host of season two. Again, coming from you haven't moved yet, have you? You're still in Austin. Yeah, still in Austin. Oh, okay, good. Coming coming from Austin, <laughs> Texas. That was a joke. You're not planning on moving. Uh, Mr. Scott Bauer. Scott, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing good. Doing great. Doing great. Not just good. Doing great. Yeah. That's what I like yeah. To hear. That's what I like to hear. That's good. And producer Daniel is here as well, which must mean we are recording another episode of the show. Scott, uh, I had a lot of fun on the last one. I was, I mentioned like afterwards, like it just was like a normal conversation. You know, like uh, this is totally comfortable in that way. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the next couple of shows we get to do together. So thanks for being here, helping me and others unpack kind of the photography subject together. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, it's good to be back. Awesome. And so for this episode, we wanted to look at maybe, you know, based on what we did last time, a little bit more depth to the subject of photography. And, and this can be a little bit of a touchy subject because we know how the saying goes, you know, art is in the eyes of the beholder. And, and that's, I think, relatively true. We can be, we can, we can debate the merits of that statement, but that's a relatively true statement, but there's a good discussion to be had here around what makes a good underwater photograph, right? Um, what, what, what it makes a good photograph. If you're going to take them, you know, what, what is the composition of it? What does it take to take one? So on and so forth. So I think we want to unpack this. It might be a bit touchy and, and we'll see, but, but we'll, who knows? We'll see where it goes. So you ready to jump into to this subject? Yeah. Oh, this is where I say something catchy again, where it's like, let's, uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> last time, you say. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll spare everybody that. Yeah. I'll, I'll spare everybody that. <laughs> no puns for you. Yeah, Scott no, no have pun. kids yet, so he's not a pun master. I, I don't have the dad jokes in my back pocket. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I need to work yeah, on that. Fill them up. I have a book actually I can lend you that that my kids got <laughs> Christmas or birthday. One of them of dad jokes. So there you go. All right, good. Let's get into it. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so let's set this one up with maybe a a tough conversation to be had which is how do we, uh, can, can Scott and Jay here come to a consensus of how we define a good versus a quote-unquote bad photograph? So uh, again, art's in the eyes of the beholder, so on and so forth, but you have to have an opinion because it's a podcast and we have to say something. So are there technical aspects of a good versus bad photo? You know, what's good? What does that really mean? And what is bad? Uh, is there such a thing as bad? And are there dependencies on the type of photo? Like you could have a really awesome macro photo um, that would not be awesome if it was a, a wide angle photo or something like that. So let's mm -hmm. get into this. I, I know it's not, you know, we're not going to solve it, but I think it's good to have the discussion. No, I, I, I like this, uh, the, the, this question. So there's definitely such thing as a bad photograph in um, I've taken, I've taken a lot of them. That's, that's how I know, but, but it's not just a, but photograph like accidental, like you, yeah, not you just an accidental photo photograph like, be good. And it was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it has to have some things in it, you know, and you start to, you start to learn. It's like, okay, it has to have this element in it. It has to have this element in it. And a lot of times, um, of course, you know, to be really basic, of course, it has to have good composition and we could talk more about what makes a good composition. And, um, it also has to have good lighting and we can talk more about what good lighting is too. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think that uh you know subject matter, lighting, and composition, um how you let those three things have a relationship with each other, I think that's what creates a good versus bad photograph. And um of course it's just an opinion, um, but I'm definitely uh, guilty myself of taking many bad photographs, and I think part of the process of learning what a good photograph is is uh, starting by taking some bad ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so we can start with composition. Um, I think there's a lot of things that could create a good composition. I'm not the greatest at it. Uh, it's something that, 
um, I really start to think about more when I start diving in the same place over and over again. And I think about composition less, unfortunately, when I'm in new, really cool places that I'm not used to being in. It's just, it's like a cool. sensory overload. I can't, um, like when I was in Rotan just now, I was, I was just uh, trying to, you know, figure out what's around me, uh, much less be like, oh, well, this sea fan would look really good <laughs> right next to this squid that I've never seen before. Like if you, if, if you see something that you've never seen for the first time, it's really hard to nail a good composition. And I think a lot of photographs that I consider good ones, I've, I've taken by accident, which is ironic compared to, you know, you know, what you said earlier about a bad photograph being one that you accidentally take of, you know, someone's blood or something like that. But I think a lot of times the good ones are accidents and they're, they're ha what I call happy accidents. Um, but Spring Lake, for example, I'm so familiar with that place and I'm so comfortable there. I'm definitely thinking about composition a lot when I'm when I'm diving through that environment. And it's because I have the the mental freedom to, um, but I, I think, um, you know, balance and symmetry, a lot of times, like if you can figure out how to, uh, create like really good symmetry, like have your subject matter right in the, um, the center of the photograph, maybe right underneath the surface of the water. And you can see the reflection of that diver up there in the surface. There, there, there's a lot of fun things you can do, uh, that create a really good composition. Um, but uh, a, a lot of times that can still in itself be pretty dull if you don't have good lighting that complements that. If cool. there's a shadow on the face of the diver that you just took a photograph and you can't really see a whole lot of detail, uh, or if the lighting is not very flattering on that diver, um, if, if, if that makes sense. So if the lighting's coming from the wrong angle, maybe it's coming from underneath their chin or, uh, you know, if it just doesn't look natural. And uh, light rays you know, are, are another thing that, you know, if you're lucky enough to get some light rays in that composition, that's something that always helps too. Uh, but just to kind of simplify things, uh, there's, there's a few things that I consider uh, really crucial to have a photograph that'll, that'll catch, you know, catch just about anyone's attention. And that's if you, if you can have an in interesting texture on what I call the substrate. So that's going to be the ground, you know, the bottom of the, the lake bottom or the sea bottom, whatever you're on, you know, a coral reef. If you could have an interesting texture uh, on the bottom and if the surface is close enough to that as well. So if you can see the surface of the water and if you could throw some light rays in there and have an interesting subject, then just about anyone that sees that is going to respond to that photograph in some sort of way, if that makes sense. Hmm. No, and that might no. be a little over oversimplified, but you know, there's, there's probably a little bit more in, that goes into that, but that, that's what I, that's what I like. You know, that's, that's what I typically like to go for. And, and that's super interesting that the way you wrap that up was if these pieces are in place, right? The mm -hmm. composition, the lighting, right? The subject that then people will have a response to it. So it's, it's super interesting. Like, you know, it's, it's not the evaluation of the photo photograph from like an academic technical aspect of like, does it have all these things in place at the right, you know, exposure level and, the right color balance and all these sorts of things that it's more when, when you get these things, right. The, the photo then can communicate, right. People can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the white balance and the settings on your camera, you know, just like your buoyancy and trim that usually should all be second nature. Um, but if, if um, the composition and the subject and all those other elements line up uh, and a lot of times, like I said, it happens, to me, it happens by accident, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, but you know, if, if that all falls into place, then in my opinion, that's a good photograph. And that'll grab a lot of people's attention. Uh, scientifically, when it comes to compositions, if you have, th there's certain roles that come into play. Um, and there's so many of them, you know, there's, uh, um, what do they, what, what do they call it? Uh, like the golden rectangle or whatever. There's certain proportions golden, that if, you ratio. know, yeah, the golden ratio. Yeah, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things. Yeah, we, we can we can talk all day what makes a good composition, and there's you know all sorts of things that play into that. But uh, to be honest, for me, it happens by accident, and <laughs> it just comes from it just comes from shooting a lot, you know, and and looking at it afterwards and saying, "Hey, I really like this." And usually, what I really like has all those things in it. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Well, maybe coming from it from a from a different angle, but building on what you said there, I think too that there's if you think about photography or photographs as pieces of communication, kind of what we were mentioning in the last episode. And if you didn't listen to that, go back and listen. Uh, if you're out there and you're wondering what we're talking about, but that photographs are communication in some way, or 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 can be used as that, and are often used that way. And so when you talk about that communication tool, I, I don't know necessarily when it comes to photographs, how to determine a good versus bad technical photograph. But when it comes to communication, I can, I can't, right. That was what I studied and, and what I love. And, and so in that level, there's a, there's another layer of good versus bad in, in the sense of like, mm-hmm. when you think about the type of photography, for example, if you think about documentary photos, like, does it capture that moment, that expedition, right? That discovery. Like, let's just say there's a, you know, you just discovered a new chamber in a cave. Does it, and you're trying to capture that photo. A good photo can capture that moment. And it may follow all of these technical rules as well, but, but you can look at a photo that maybe breaks some of these that captures that moment or that, you know, expedition or whatever it would be from a documentary. I love that, yeah perspective and it kind of sounds like what you're talking about is more of like a photojournalistic uh, approach to that photograph that just happened to capture the emotion that you're feeling when you discover that that right. new cave 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 passage right. uh, just using that as an example or right. it could also be um like a picture that i took the other week of a moray eel um i was just you know i was taking a picture of him up close and afterwards i noticed that there is a little um uh, cleaner Gobi, uh, cleaning out his gills and another one inside his mouth, cleaning out his teeth. And, you know, that tells the story of, uh, the life cycle of that, uh, you know, that, that cleaner ras or cleaner Gobi, whatever it is and how the, the eel just lets it crawl inside its mouth and crawl inside its gills. And, um, this is a creature that can eat that Gobi, you know, but he lets him do that because there's a beneficial role to both of those animals. And, you know, right. so yeah, there's, there, there's these things that go into the composition that tell a story. And uh, the things that I was talking about earlier, purely uh, um, um, service level, like um, um, what, what's the word I'm thinking of? Just visual, you know, visual, yeah. nice things to look at versus an actual, you know, composition that tells a story. And if, if you could get everything packed into that one rectangle to where it not only, you know, looks great, um, but, you know, has a has a whole story that it has to tell you in one frame then to me, that's, that's a really, really big success. Yeah. And I think when you talk about the, the Moria eel, right. And the Gobi, the, that's a, like an environmental, the, does it capture that moment? Cause you saw it and yeah. you're seeing that moment and it, it's building to this level of like, this tells the story of an ecosystem that's the, you know, mutually beneficial here. Like does that photo capture that environment? Or if it's a, a really cool photo of the eel, but it misses that goby mm-hmm. in some ways, like because you were there. It's it maybe then it's just an eel per- portrait, great. you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, an eel portrait, which <laughs> they'll, they'll a... pay you fifty bucks for, right? <laughs> um, they'll give you a real shock of a deal for it. So yeah, yeah. anyway, um, but yeah, and then I think there's so environmental photos to be good communication tools have to capture that environment as if you were there, or the aspect of that environment that you were there. And I think maybe another category too is kind of an emotional or human interest photo, which you do a lot of. Um, I know that, that you, and I love that. Uh, one of the things I love about diving with you is I always end up with some photo of myself, which is nice. But I was thinking the human interest side of things or the emotional side of things, does it capture the person? Like, you know, like you said, that, you know, there's a technical aspect. If there's a shadow over my eyes or if light's coming up from underneath my chin or whatever. Making your you chin know, look bad. <laughs> you make me look fat under the water, right? Whatever. No, but, but yeah, I mean, there's a, like, like that photo we were talking about in the last episode of me, like being a magician underwater, like, you know, throwing smoke bombs. Um, we're just messing around. And I love that photo. Cause you really captured that me in that, like what I was doing. I was just like, okay, are you, you're done. Take, you've done chasing the gar, whatever you were doing. Like, yeah. all right, can we move on now? Like, poof, we're gone. You know, it was kind of the, what was going on in my mind. Of course, I'm not saying that we're under the water and for however you did it, you captured that moment of me kind of going like, poof, let's go. Uh, and it was, 
that's very much my my personality. Like, all right, yeah, let's go, right? Um, and so there's a cap does it capture the person? So I think it's super interesting to think about. You know, good is I think for sure if it's a big blurry blue you know, abyss, like it's like there's no chance it can communicate, right? Other than mm-hmm. you know a certain color of blue, I guess. But um, but when you talk about getting some of the technical aspects of composition, of lighting, of subject, you know, well rounded out and balanced, and then you that gives it a chance then to to use as a communication tool, like you yeah, know, as, a, as something that really the visual appealingness to it is just like the first step in my opinion, you know, because I I think you have to have that to get to the parts where it's going to start to tell a story too, otherwise. I mean, even without the, you know, the, the visual, you know, even without that, that nice candy appearance, that really attractive appearance, you can have a photograph that tells a story and sure it, it, it tells that story, but it, it, I don't think it'll grab the same attention uh, that it would if you weren't able to get, you know, that really magical look to it, you know? Uh, um, and I, I, a lot of photojournalism that I've looked at in magazines and whatnot is kind of more along those lines where it might be kind of kind of boring visually, but it still tells, like if you really study it, it still tells a lot of details about what might have happened that day or what's going on in that frame. Um, but what I like to do or what I like to try to do, I'm not saying I'm, I'm good at accomplishing that by by any means, but what I would like is to have something that you would hang on your wall as some sort of fine art print but tells the tells the story of that 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 feeling that you had when you were in that place and you saw that thing going down, whether it's part of a coral reef ecosystem or whether it's uh, that carefree Sunday afternoon we had in Spring Lake where you threw the sand up in the air, you know, on on cream of wheat. Um, anything along that sort of guideline is 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 what I find attractive in in a good photograph. Um, gives you a gives you a feeling conveys the feeling that you felt when you were there and is visually appealing and you know tells that story really nice and really efficiently um as you said in that frame yeah yeah super interesting all right well let let's then maybe move to i think you know we we can both now sign up as judges for all these underwater photography contests that they they run out there so if you're out there and you run one of those, Scott and I can be a judge. We have our own criteria that we can bring now. We've discussed it and decided. Or you can borrow our criteria and go for it however you'd like. But, uh, but yeah, that would be um, – that, that, that's funny. I think we've kind of got to a good place of, of what good looks like and, and what bad can look like as well. You know, So the burning question here then becomes how do you do it? So how do you take a good photo? Um, maybe the, the slash line on this too is – what makes a good underwater photographer? Because, uh, you know, I, I would argue that good photos consistent on a consistent basis. If you're t- producing good photos, you are probably a good underwater photographer. I think any Joe Schmo like myself can get lucky and capture a photo or, or a pull a still frame from something, um, you know, and, and have, have a stroke of luck once to get that good photo. But um, but I think good photos over time consistently come from good underwater photographers. And so maybe these things are intrinsically linked together. How do you take a good photo slash what makes a good underwater photographer? So are, are there specific skills required to capture a great photo? Are there technical considerations? I know you mentioned, you know, the camera settings should be second nature. But how do you make decisions about those things? And then what about in post, like editing and touching up the photos and so on and so forth? How does that stuff go? So what's your take on how do you take a good photo slash what's a good underwater photographer? Well, so aside from what we talked about on the last one to where, you know, it starts with skills and good buoyancy and good trim. And we, we can definitely come back to that. Um, you know, obviously it'll, it'll start there. Uh, consistency, in my opinion, goes a long way diving a lot. Uh, especially diving with your camera a lot and getting used to, even if you don't even take a picture on that dive, getting used to moving around with the camera, what it feels like in a current, what it feels like moving around with it, maybe even, maybe even doing a gas switch with it, you know, in your right yeah. hand or just it, it's something <laughs> right. that you always have to manage. It, it's, it's, it's a big deal having that thing in your hand all the time. And uh, 
you know, there, there's there's different techniques that people use to make their camera buoyant or slightly negative or maybe even in some cases slightly positive that I guess that's mostly personal preference, but it can be a lot to manage. Um, aside from that, uh, color correction so, is let me pause probably you there the... for a second. Mm -hmm. So let me pause you before you go into color correction, because I, I want to maybe tie a bow around what you just said, which is, you know, a good photo starts with getting yourself squared away. Right. And yeah. And I don't want to skip over this like thought that you had there because it's really important that, that that means like any piece of equipment, the camera is something that you're training on. And mm -hmm. I think that's super interesting because I, I actually have never taken an underwater photography class. So I'm not, I don't know if, if they go through camera management and you know, how to deal with that piece of equipment. But I find that it's something that I hadn't really thought about um, until yeah. I took some cameras and was like, where do I clip this thing off? And how do I like what I'm going to do a guess, what you're going to do, whatever. So let's maybe unpack that just a little bit before we get to color correction of like. Yeah, no, for sure. Because I think that's a pretty important part of it. And, you know, I don't do anything specific to train. I, I just dive with it a lot. Um, I just have it in my hand a lot when I'm diving. And, um, maybe it's a good idea to practice. <laughs> it's kind of a funny idea. Maybe it's a good idea to <laughs> find a good reliable buddy and practice a valve drill with your, <laughs> with your camera in your right hand. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad idea. That, well, yeah, we'll, we'll let other people debate that. Um, but yeah, just having it in your hand a lot when you're diving, uh, just taking it on a lot of dives. Even if you go into Lake Travis, uh, just having it with you, um, managing it throughout that dive while you're fulfilling that dive plan is, is, a really good thing to do in my opinion and um one of the biggest limitations that you'll notice when you start diving with um um with a camera that's more than a gopro or a point and shoot you know something that you actually have to uh, manage the settings and manage the size of it the lighting arms uh, manipulating all that stuff it's going to start to eat into your gas consumption quite a bit too especially when you're not so much used to it and um I, I still think my my sack rate is not um, where it needs to be, uh, but it's definitely been better than what than what it was when I first started diving with a bigger camera, and um, that's one of the first things I noticed when I started doing that. And I think really? the only so way saw... to get through that is to dive with it a lot. Yeah. So when you started diving with the bigger rig, camera rig, you saw a noticeable uptick in your gas consumption rate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, especially if you're shooting a lot and that's going to be kind of obvious, you know, you see a, a seahorse 10 feet away, you're going to go over to that seahorse. You're going to get in the right position. That all takes a lot of movement and, uh, you have to manipulate your buoyancy by exhaling, inhaling. Um, that's causing you to kind of break the rhythm of your normal relaxed breathing style. And that's going to mm -hmm. cut into your, uh, your, your gas consumption quite a bit too. Um, and then also you're going to get excited, especially if it's something really cool that you've never seen before. Um, and even me very recently, <laughs> I saw, uh, I saw a squid for the first time and I just about, uh, threw a hissy fit and, um, you know, that probably, that, <laughs> that probably affected my gas consumption <laughs> quite a bit. I was so excited to see it. It, it. it came right up into my lens and I couldn't believe the photograph that I was almost accidentally able to take of it. And, um, I've been diving for years and I've, I've never seen a squid surprisingly. Um, this, wow, this rotan yeah. trip was the first time I've, I've seen those, but, uh, yeah, you get excited no, and you know, that, that cuts into it quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, to add on to that idea, I think, you know, that's, it's just like any other piece of kit training it. And, and you go back to like, at least the way I approach diving or train was trained to approach diving was really around like you start with how you're going to exit the dive first. Like how do I get home safe if everything goes wrong? And so, so yeah, it is interesting. I, and I don't know if photography courses cover managing that piece of kit. Because I mean, some of these cameras, I went diving uh, last week with some folks that were really into the, the macro photography and some of these rigs are just, 
incredible. I mean, like I said, they're as big as your your as a set of doubles in terms of mm-hmm. of the the size of everything, the lights and the camera, and the housing, and everything else they have on top of it. Um, and and I know, like uh, you know, I have a, a a good friend James Mott who does the dive uh, or the Great Dive podcast. And I remember we were in the water together, and he was like, you know, talking about when he sets his camera down. He has a really heavy camera rig is what he's using right now when he sets it down he has to make sure you know he's ready with a big inhale and uh if he needs to you know adjust his buoyancy because he's you know he's gonna um or i mean a big exhale because he's gonna immediately you know start to float up because his his camera becomes part of his weighting oh yeah because it's heavy yeah even though it's not part of his weighting it's not on his it's Mm -hmm. part of his weighting because he's holding on to it all the time so super interesting like to think about those aspects if you're getting into photography or you haven't thought about that safety perspective first is how do you, you know, manage it and train for, you know, what, what happens in, in an out of gas situation, an emergency situation, or like you said, in a valve roll off or something like that, that, Oh, you know, what, what do you do with the camera? You know um, I love that video you, you posted of your camera that, you had almost perfectly neutrally buoyant. <laughs> you just let it go. And like, and that know, I think a to lot of me, people... that to me is a safety concern too. I, I think because of the point that you brought up, um, your, your camera should at least be somewhat buoyant. It doesn't have to be perfect like that, uh, but it shouldn't be too heavy to where if you feel like if, if you let go of it, you're going to shoot up. And I, I do realize that people that are really into macro photography, they, they want their rigs to be weighted quite a bit because they're shooting from a tripod. And I think the safest way to do that is to have a somewhat buoyant um, camera rig, even when you're set up for macro, but you put it on the tripod and then you take a weight off your person and clip it to the tripod. And then I, I do understand that when you take the weight off your person, you're going to be buoyant, but you should know to, you know, adjust your buoyancy as you're doing that. Um, but if you were to somehow in transport to wherever you were going to go shoot at, lose your camera, then it wouldn't be, you know, like you just lost a bunch of weight and, I, I think that is uh, <laughs> that's definitely an advantage to you know getting your camera buoyant. Um, but the biggest reason to have it buoyant is uh, for stability when you're shooting video, and of course macro that doesn't apply, but shooting wide, it, it helps quite a bit. Yeah, interesting. I yeah. think I well, guarded your I mean, point no, there. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's great. I mean, the, the the skills there, I think, too, and and like, so I don't know. And, and I'm actually going to ask that question of, of my agency now of like, well, in our photography course, do we talk about like managing kit, but it just dawned on me while we were talking about this or when we we're prepping for this episode about like, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a whole thing. It's like, you know, taking a dry suit in the water the first time, you know, there's some mm-hmm. level of training on that, that equipment um, that's, that's required. So I, I like that you started with skills and, and I wanted to make sure we unpacked, that piece of it before you got into color correction and some of the other things that are really important. But, uh, but thanks for indulging me because I was like, yeah, this is a point I really want to. <laughs> yeah, no, for away. sure. And I, I, I totally get that, that, you know, um, that side of the, that side of the, the thing is, is what you like to talk about. And that makes perfect sense. Cause that's, that's your deal. You know, um, the whole dive training thing and, um, which, I can segue into something that you might also like too. Uh, is anything that involves diving with the team, creating a plan, and training to use certain types of equipment. I, I, I mentioned in the last uh, the last one of these that we did um, that that's something that I kind of aspire to want to do. That's something that I want to work up to because I'm definitely not there yet. Uh, but one one photographer which you're very f- uh, familiar with, Natalie Gibbs at Under the Jungle. I, I, I really like that type of work. Um, it's really fascinating to me that they, they go into this place that alone, just to go into that place requires specific training, um, uh, specific use of equipment, but it also involves a team. They're, they're going in there with a team. They're placing lights in very specific places. She has this idea of how the composition needs to look, how it needs to be, how it needs to be lit. And there's communication going on, uh, underwater with that entire team on, you know, this diver needs to go over here in this position. They're going to be the subject. We have these lights already placed over here. And to me, that seems really fascinating. It's like you're going on a mission with this team and you're coming back with that objective. And at the end of the day, it's this like really fun, creative thing. You're coming back with this this piece of art. And I, I love that type of photography. And that's that's kind of more what I want to get into down the road. And 
you know, as I learn more and kind of grow into that. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And I think too, maybe to, you know, we, not to, we can't, I think, talk about all of it yet, but you and I have been doing a little bit of expedition planning um, around uh, a specific photography mission, a week-long mission um, to go capture some specific photos. And one of the things that it's it's great to talk about as team members, you and I, and the other team members that we're involving um, is that safety aspect is like, if, if, you know, we talked about, Hey, look, we're going to have, uh, I think our plan originally was we're going to have two divers and one safety diver. And, and we talked it through and said like, well, really we, we should have us at least a safety diver per one photographer, right? Because uh, that becomes a really important thing. And ideally we'd have a team of three, right? Um, because look, something is as likely to go wrong on my rig as it is on your rig. Right. And so you need to be able to, even if you're taking the photos, be able to, you know, help me all, and vice versa. Right. And so it can't just be I'm yeah. a safety diver because my rig is not, nothing's going to go wrong. Um, and you, you know, I've got your back. Yes, that's the intent. But the reality is, you know, who knows, you know, it's, uh, those issues can occur to anybody. So mm -hmm. it's interesting when you talk about, team planning, even for a dive where you're taking the camera with you and you say, Oh, I really want to capture some photos of X. What is that teammate who doesn't have the camera? What's their responsibility in that, in that moment? Right. In that yeah. Moment. That's a good point. Like if you have a first stage failure or somebody else does, is somebody there to receive your, you just, you know, does somebody know that you're going to hand your camera over to them. They just need to grab it and take it off your hands. I wonder what the proper, protocol is there it'd be kind of interesting well, to neutral, talk to somebody go, that right? does tech training that <laughs> also is a photographer yeah yeah so but yeah i think that these these things lead kind of back to the question how do you take a good photo well some of it becomes mm -hmm. the personal skills and the familiarity with your equipment and so on and so forth part of it is you know the safety and, and planning for that as a team and, and having a team behind you not only to set lights but also from a safety perspective and that mm -hmm. the team that's diving is aware of, of the plan that, hey, Scott's going to take some photos and we're going to, you know, pause in this moment to support him in that and then we'll move on. Um, but I think I think those are good starting places. Maybe let's get into the, the color correction and, and maybe some of the technical considerations that make a good photo or how do you do yeah. that? Um... And that's, that's one thing that I think is really important with underwater photography is the color. And I think that's what most people actually get wrong too. Uh, there's not a very good understanding of it because, and, and, and for good reason too, because if you're learning photography, um, forget underwater. If you're, if you're learning photography, there's a lot of um, YouTube channels and really good resources. You, you can learn really quick. You know, um, if you're using the right resources, it's pretty easy to pick up. Um, it's definitely not rocket science, but uh, color correction is one of those things that is uniquely different as soon as you go underwater. And there's not a whole lot of YouTube channels that cover that. There's, there's a few that I could think of, but you got to really dig for them. And uh, the reason for that being going to get a little scientific and I'm not a scientist. So if you get something wrong, you know, don't, don't kill me in the, con the, the, the comments, but um, so you have a, you have a lay of uh, a, a ray of sunlight that has all the colors of the rainbow baked into that one ray right and when that uh, ray of sunlight shines to rain it makes a rainbow you know because it's breaking apart all those different light rays and that's why you see a rainbow i guess S something like that you know to the, to that avail um I as soon it was, as there sunlight, was a pot of gold well yeah and there's gold yeah that's, okay, that's true right, just making sure that's okay good, yeah. good. <laughs> but as soon as that uh <laughs> that, that ray of sunshine hits the ocean hits the water um, every, you know, every foot or every inch that it passes through, um, uh, the water, it removes, um, uh, the colors in order of the rainbow. So it starts with the warmer colors. It starts with the red and then moves on down until you're left with nothing but the blues and the purples, the deeper that you go. Um, so that really long winded explanation of what happens to color and light as it, you know, passes through, uh, water when you're diving. Uh, that really affects the camera's ability to do a, um, a, a really decent white balance. So, you know, th there's a few different tricks and techniques that you can use 
uh, to learn how to do that physically uh, with your camera and with your lighting. Um, but there's also a lot, and I mean like quite a bit that you can do uh, with Adobe Lightroom or any other editing platform um, that uh, is really important to make sure that um, you're getting good color correction in that post work because it, it makes, you might not notice it at first. Um, like if you, if you take your, take your GoPro, shoot a shot 20 feet deep in Spring Lake, you'd be like, okay, this looks good. But if you color correct it properly, you'll be like, wow, I didn't realize there's actually so much color in this photo that I would have neglected to bring out. And that's just a technical aspect of something that, um, you might be selling yourself short if you don't learn how to properly do that. Do you think that also has something to do with the fact that when you are, let's just take like you're at 80 feet. So you've lost your red, you've lost mm -hmm. all those warmer colors that you were talking about. You got some blue and you got green, maybe. You know, like, yeah. And so when you're in that environment and you're setting up the composition of the shot, you actually aren't capable of seeing those other colors in that moment. Like if you're, well, if it depends. Eyes. This is very interesting. It depends because it depends on the, the, the artificial light that you bring down there. And that's oh, also okay. where it gets tricky because your white balance might be uh, uh, set for the ambient light that's down there at 80 feet. And then you turn on your, your lights that look white to you, but to the way that your white balance is set, they're going to look purple or red or like really weird orange. And that's where different tools come in, like ambient light filters. Like you'll, you'll see these blue ambient light filters that some people use if they're shooting with video lights. Because um, I always shoot still frames with video lights because I like to shoot both. I don't, I don't use strobes. Um, you get better results with strobes, but I, I want the ability to, to go from video to photo. Um, but that's why you'll see those blue uh, filters over my video lights is because you'll set the, the, the white balance to that ambient light down there at 80 feet. But those uh, filters will keep the light um, what will enable the light to kind of match that white balance. And that's just kind of like a, a mechanical trick that you can, you can use that, that, that gives you a little bit of a leg up when it, when it comes to uh, post-processing, cause you still need to post-process after that. Um, but it, it definitely keeps you from having to, um, push it too far in post to where you start to degrade the file. And that's a whole nother, you know, technical thing to, to dive into. Um, but, uh, yeah, th there's all sorts of things that go into it and, and it could get really complicated. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, but I think like basic color correction is really important. Oh, that's good. That's good. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, to, to maybe tie a bow around all of that that you were talking about, you know, if you think about, you're listening out there and you think about, you know, your open or advanced open water, your, your deep dives or whatever it would be. Remember, you know, maybe your instructor brought down a slate and then shined a light on that slate. When you mm -hmm. looked at it without the light, it was, you know, all the colors look gray and then all of a sudden, or blue, and then all of a sudden you shine the light and you see, oh, there's red and there's yellow and there's orange yeah. coming back. And it's, yeah, because if you know, think about it, those, the rays. light from that slate is only moving a few feet, whereas the light from the sunlight that's penetrating all 80 feet down to where you are. Right. Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I mean, it's one of those things that, it's that going back to how do you take a good photo? Well, it's considering the environment and then setting up the gear in the right way so that it can address that environment. So, I mean, I imagine if you're taking photos in, you know, 10 feet of water on a sh super shallow reef, kind of the, mm -hmm. you're talking about the substrate with being able to see the surface of the yeah. water and the subject in the middle, you know, it's a different consideration than if, you know, you're going to, go capture the six skill shark and you know, you've got to go to 160 feet to even start to see it. Right. Um, that's that when you have to pay the six skill so. shark to come up to the shadows for you. Yeah. You can of sardines, whatever he likes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think the best photos are taken in 10 feet of water, to be honest. I think that's where you get the best of everything. And, um, Sure. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff uh, that's you know, that that might be cool to photograph down deep. But, you know, as far as wide angle is concerned and as far as what what I find attractive, I, I love the shallow stuff. Mm, yeah. All right. Good. So in post and editing, focus on color correction as a, as a key skill um, from a technical aspect, set your gear up, you know, correctly 
and second nature. And from a skill perspective, hey, you got to train this stuff from a safety perspective, from a gear management perspective and, and kind of situational awareness. And then also from a personal skills perspective, you know, your buoyancy, your trim, your balance, your propulsion, all those things. Uh, and now all, if you add all of that up, it equals how do you take a good photo? No, I think <laughs> that equals, of- I think that equals the start because once you're doing all of that, then you have to somehow find the mental capacity to put together a good composition and then do all the other things that we're talking about as far as telling a story. I think that's what, I think that's what makes it so hard. And I think that's why for me, it happens by accident. And it's just like, I I just have to shoot as much as I possibly can. And whoops, that worked out, you know? Well, that's good. I mean, that's good. That's a, it's a, it's a really awesome discussion. I I know I learned a lot and that I didn't know and that I wouldn't have considered really, right. I wouldn't have thought about in producing those shots. So that's good. Anything else to add before we move on to the next segment? Oh, here we go again. No, I don't have any dad jokes at ready. <laughs> no, I was looking for, I just want to make sure, because I'm looking at you to say, like, do we need to yeah, say no, anything else when it comes uh, okay. to good Okay, yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> no, okay. that, that's kind of like a job interview where they're like, do you have any questions and you know that you're supposed to ask a question? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll mark this one down. Daniel can edit it out. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's good. Um, that was a really good segment uh, and talking about, you know, how do you take that photograph? And there's so much that goes into it, uh, to even get set up. That's why I think like the, uh, the accidental photograph where you're like, well, like I have one accidental photograph that I really like, but it really came from pulling from a GoPro videos and pulling a still from it. That's how a lot of people do it. Yeah. Because like, yeah, it's like, it really captured the moment for me, which I, I call it like my, it was like a year or two ago, like capturing that scuba moment of like, I felt completely like I was one with the water in that moment for whatever reason. I remember I had that moment and it was just like, and then I woke up from it, however long it was. It was like one of those like out of, out of body, out of dry suit moments where you're like, whoa, oh wow. And then you wake up and go, oh, uh, <laughs> it was just totally balanced felt like I was completely weightless as one with the water and in a beautiful environment. And there was a photo of, of that with like, you know, that my instructor captured a video and I pulled a still from it. That was like, that's, that's it, you know? And, um, and you know, it really communicated to me in that way. And so it's, it's interesting. Some of those can be accidental, but, but in prepping for it, all these things need to be somewhat in place that you talked about in order to get that happenstance photo that came through, right? You know, even if you're shooting photos and you have no lights and you're at 80 feet, like there's no way you're going to get that happenstance photo because you know, it's going to be a bunch of, you know, dark black, blue color, uh, right? So I think it's interesting to talk about the, or, or that you talked about all of the setup that just gets you to a place where you have then the opportunity to capture that moment or to capture that subject in the right way and to get the right composition, all those things. So I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. It gives you the, it it just gets you there to have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And then hopefully magic happens, right? And then then you're going from there. All right. Well, good. Maybe we can wrap this one up with some advice like we always do. So what advice do you have for divers wanting to kind of capture that perfect shot. So are there, I I think the tip, uh, you know, around last time around buy the housing first and then the camera is really valuable. Like are there any, any of those tips or tricks that you can share? Are there things to avoid that are absolute no's? Like don't do this in your photography. I did it. It stinks. Don't do it. Um, yeah, those sorts of keys of the game. I think one of the biggest things to avoid is getting involved in anything that causes you to have to uh, shoot what you, what you're not interested in. Um, for example, I used to shoot, I, I tried to shoot real estate photography and I, that almost got me out of photography. I just almost didn't even want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, but my advice, if you're trying to get, you know, the perfect shot is identify what it is that you love and that you want to shoot. And then, um, um, you'll, you'll figure it out from there, I think. 
yeah, that's that's good advice. Any any little technical tips? I mean, other than color balance and all the things that we already talked about. Yeah, I mean that's a hard one because it all it's so particular into exactly what it is that you're trying to shoot. You know, um, if you're trying to capture a certain animal or if you're shooting portraits of people, you know, there, there's so many different ways to do things. Um, I would say though, uh, you know, if, if you're trying to, um, if you're trying to tell a story, if you're trying to, you know, come back with, with an image that, that not just looks good, but tells a story, you have to get the basics of everything else down first. You have to free up your, your mental capacity enough. Um, in order to be able to put that together in your head. And that, that to me is a, the, the most challenging thing uh, with underwater photography. And I think what is what makes it so hard. Yeah, I, I think that's good advice. Like I, I really don't have a lot of experience or expertise in this area at all. Um, but I can say that I think that the the preparation work for anything, right, comes back down to what are you trying to achieve? What needs to be in place to achieve that? And then are those things ready to go when that moment presents itself? And so I think, you know, um, practice and practice and practice and lots, like you said, lots and lots of bad photos. What's the, you know, everyone always quotes that Michael Jordan, you know, uh, quote, you know, how many shots he's missed, to, you know, to make one. Um, or maybe that was Wayne Gretzky. Gosh, now I'm butchering the probably <laughs> one of the most used quotes ever. I, my brain's not working, but it's probably that, like if you think about photographs, just on the spot here. If you think about for all the photographs, that are like like behind you, if you're watching the video, are, are some of Scott's, you know, photos that he's had as art prints, and th I would say those you would you would say are, were were good or perfect shots for you, and they, they represent something. So if you look at one of them, I don't know, pick one of them. And you think about how many photos that I have to take to get to that one that I actually paid to print and put on the wall and, you know, all that stuff. What, what would be your ratio you think? Oh, that's interesting. To number of prints. Like that one right above my head. And you probably can't yeah. see it, but it's, it's a, it's an angelfish um, that's kind of peeking at me from behind that rock. First off, it's hard to get an angelfish to look at you for some reason. But I, I remember hanging around that rock with that fish for about 20 minutes, and there's probably 100 exposures that were taken, probably more, actually. Um, but, yeah, no, that's that's kind of the way it, it, it works for me. It, it, you know, there's at least, uh, um, you know, 100 or so exposures. Of course, it's on that uh, that high-speed mode, you know, machine gun mode. You're, you're pulling the trigger and, and letting the fish move move through the frame, and you're, you're picking the best one. But um, that's kind of how it looks. You know, that's kind of how that works at least in the way that I do things. And yeah. um you kind of you have that composition built and you hold the frame there and you you let the subject swim through the swim through the frame. And I just I liked the angle that the fish was looking at me in that one that one shot. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean I think that and there's probably even before you learned to put it in machine gun mode and to get the lighting right for that spot, there's probably yeah. another yeah, it's like you get everything set up and then you go in the mode. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you want yeah, to call yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, it's interesting because uh, it's kind of like anything. You have to take a lot of bad photos to get a good one, and I think that's unique in some ways to underwater photography um, because on on the surface, well, on the surface, like we live underwater. It's how I'm framing. That's not what <laughs> yeah. I mean. But when you're taking photos not underwater, maybe we'll put it that way you know, there is kind of this instant feedback loop of reviewing them and seeing them for what they are and even talking about them and all those things, which doesn't happen in, in underwater photography. You go under and you're under for, you know, probably minimum for people 30 minutes mm -hmm. closer to. An and hour. you don't really want to get lost into looking at the viewfinder. You know, that's always a bad, a bad idea. Yeah. So you don't have that feedback necessarily. Mm -hmm. You don't really know what you have until you plug it in and download the photos and start looking at each one. I mean, I guess you can go through the viewfinder, but I'm guessing you don't really know what you have until you get home after the mm -hmm. trip, when you're home from the yeah, that, That's the way I feel about it too. And I, I know that some, some people have better equipment. They have, you know, external monitors uh, and, you know, you know, of course it's going to have a bigger screen. You might get a more instant playback that way, but I, I don't have that. And, 
that's the way it is for me. I don't really know fully what I have. And so I get home and look at it on the, on the computer when I'm backing everything up. And are you thinking to yourself, like, I, I know I took these photos and I think I nailed this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and, you and have an idea and, and, and you're kind of hoping kind of like the film days, you're kind of hoping that it came out the way that you thought it did. Yep. And, uh, uh, video is the worst because I don't have an external monitor and there's so many things that go wrong with video. Uh, you can have a little flake of dust uh, on the inside of your dome port. And with a still frame, you can just clone that out. Really easy fix with videos. Just like, God, that just ruined the whole, <laughs> the whole clip <laughs> the whole or a thumbprint or something like that, you know, and video's hard. It's, it's really hard. And unlike, unlike still frames where everything can be shown in one frame, a video, if you're going to make a sequence of a cleaner fish cleaning the gills of a moray eel, you want to get a, you know, you want to get one shot of it looking, you know, looking one way. And then you want to maybe zoom in on the goby and maybe you want to get another angle and, um, you know, multiple views of the same thing happening kind of tells the story a little bit better in video. Whereas with photography, it's all done in one frame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Good stuff. Uh, I think we'll, we'll wrap this one up there. It's a, a really good discussion today on this stuff. And hopefully it was entertaining and enlightening and maybe you learned something uh i know i did so uh awesome so today we focused on the topic what makes a good underwater photograph and i think we came to a lot of it has to do with not only the photograph itself the outcome but the preparation of the diver and the preparation for the photo and all those things which i think is really interesting but we we would love to hear your thoughts out there what's your favorite photo you've taken and why what makes a great photo versus just an all right photo in your mind and the ones that you've seen and how have you approached taking that perfect photo? So reach out to Scott or I, Scott, you want to tell them how to get a hold of you again on Insta or on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, Instagram is going to be Scott Bauer below. And then my YouTube channel is the same name, uh, Scott Bauer below. And it's, as we joked around earlier, Bauer's B-A-U-E-R, just like Eddie Bauer, Jack Bauer, um, Bauer skates. There you go. What are some other yeah, Bowers? The Bowers. <laughs> and, uh, and the Scott Bauer on below though, below. Uh, on yeah. Instagram. Just go there, check it out for sure. Well, good. Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcast so that you get notified whenever a new episodes drop. So whether that be on Spotify or Apple Music or iHeartRadio, wherever you get that, uh, we want to make sure that you can be a part of this community. Any uh, parting thoughts, Scott, before we, we sign off of this episode here? Um, I would say work on your trim. Work on your trim. Me? Hey, No, no, not you. you. <laughs> Everyone in general <laughs> that wants to get into underwater photography, I would focus on trim and how you uh, propel yourself first. I think that's, yeah. that's a good place to start. That's a, that's a good one. And I would say to... Um, the other thing I may be parting thought wise and starting and, and all this, and I know it already happens naturally, but talk to other photographers, right? Talk to people that have been around. How do they do it? Learn some of those, you know, try not to take the hard knock life of learning and, and gain experience from people like Scott who have done it, who are still learning and open to learn, but have things that can really help you. And so I think always, uh, always looking to others to, to talk through that stuff is always a good thing. So good, good episode, Scott. Enjoyed this one. All right. Thanks for joining us today. And we look forward to having you back on the next episode of the dive table.